Hey, my name's Lee, and I'm one of the hosts of the Northern Overexposure podcast, and I'm recording this from the future. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. It might be obvious that because this is the first episode of our podcast, and we're talking about the first episode of Northern Exposure, that this is our most listened to episode. If this is your first time listening to our podcast, we hope you like it. Go easy on us because this is our very first podcast recording ever. <laughs> That's right. My name is Charles and I'm the other host of this podcast. And I just want to say we've come a long way from the pilot. Our first couple episodes were recorded in uh, not the greatest conditions. We were using toilet paper rolls to hold up our microphones. We were recording <laughs> in large spacious rooms where there was like an echo that was reverberating throughout the room. But We've had so much fun watching this show and talking about it. Yeah, and, and I mean, we tried to do our best to clean up the audio and to re-edit this pilot episode of the podcast because it means a lot to us. If you're a fan of Northern Exposure and you're skeptical about this podcast, I implore you to find your favorite episode of Northern Exposure and listen to us talk about that one. And Lee, would you say that we got better as we kept podcasting? Not just like in the general state of our equipment and such, but, you know, more in our discussions. Definitely. I mean, our discussions get longer, um, but that's not to say that these early episodes are bad. It's, there's no reason for us to re-record these episodes because I think there's a lot of really great discussion in the first episodes, like even in the beginning of our podcast. I, I wouldn't change a thing. All right. Well, if you're listening to the podcast as you watch along with the series, buckle up. We love to talk about every aspect of each episode, and our podcast gets better and maybe unfortunately longer as we go along. Yeah, I like to say we really hit our stride for podcasting in like episode three or four. We just get a better grip on what hosting a podcast actually is. And as we said before, the audio quality improves a lot. But these first couple episodes are so good as well and worthy of discussion. As Lee said, we hope you enjoy the podcast and we hope you share it along with Northern Exposure with your friends. All right, this is it. Episode one of Northern Overexposure. This is a podcast about the 1990s TV show Northern Exposure that first, I guess, aired in the, what year was it? It aired in 1990 on CBS. On CBS. Uh, my name is Lee. I'm a filmmaker and uh, I'm joined by my good friend Charles, who is kind of a uh, my go-to TV aficionado. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hi, my name is Charles. Um, watch a lot of television like every other American, but I think I maybe watch like above average, would you say? Like above average amount of television compared to the yeah, ordinary I, American? I, I, all, I, all I'll say is I, I feel like you have really good TV instincts, um, but I guess we should make it clear that I'm a huge Northern Exposure fan. And I have uh, never seen Northern Exposure. Yeah, like maybe you saw, I think I might have forced you to watch the pilot in high school, um, but it's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't remember. <laughs> I, I remember the uh, opening scene with the credits with the moose that walks all throughout town. Yes, the iconic. I remember that. The yeah. iconic theme song, the the weird, what is that, harmonica, yeah, accordion, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever, and the moose, uh, you know, obviously. But that is all I've ever seen from it. Um, so the mission statement of our podcast is to 
reconnect the show with new audiences. We want to expand the fan base, you know, because this is a show that I think was relatively popular at the time. And you'll be surprised. You'll find it on a lot of top 10 lists for like, you know, some, some celebrities will say, oh, I loved Northern Exposure. But you don't really hear it talked about in, it's not, it's not a cult following thing necessarily. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's nowhere near the level of like Twin Peaks or West Wing or Friends or Seinfeld, those other uh, television shows in the 90s. Um, you'd have to search in order to find Northern Exposure. It would not be automatically popping up right. on your yeah, Google so, search. So yeah, that's our, that's our goal. We're going to try to introduce the show to new people one episode at a time. We're starting with my friend Charles, like I already said. Maybe we're cheating a little. You've, you've probably seen this episode before, <laughs> maybe a decade ago, but... Um, but we're starting with episode one, the pilot. And yeah, I mean, pilots are difficult, would you say, Charles? Yeah, they are notoriously hard to make because you have to introduce the premise of the show and all the characters. And you can't you can't say like, oh, I'm going to develop the character later on as the show goes. Like people that are watching television, they want to see what this character instinctively is immediately on first glance. Uh, I think in particular, I think Cheers has an amazing pilot. Really? Yeah, Cheers is an amazing one. But even great television shows like The Wire have, in my opinion, really bad pilots. Oh, like, yeah. That I guess, does not make me want to watch The Wire. I agree I with you. I agree with you. I guess we should flat out say we are in no way experts of Northern Exposure or of TV. <laughs> I just like watching movies, and I think Charles gives me great recommendations with TV, so I think he has he would have something good to say. So... Yeah, in no way experts. We're gonna we're just gonna have fun and talk about this show that I love. Uh, but yeah, no, I think I think there is a there is a problem with pilots. Uh, oftentimes, you'll watch the pilot, and then um, if you're binge watching nowadays, like the rest of the entire series is completely different. Like characters look different. Some characters aren't even there. Well, some of them are like recasted. They're yeah. like entirely new actors. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and it's, you know, they haven't really found their footing. They haven't mm -hmm. found the tone of the show necessarily. A lot of times with the pilot. Um, I think that's true with Northern Exposure. I've, I've watched the pilot a lot because I've tried to introduce the show to a lot of people uh, over the years. Um, definitely, probably... One of my least favorite episodes. <laughs> it's, you know, I, just, I always tell people you have to like follow through with this show. I mean, it's a very character driven show. We'll talk about it when we get there mm -hmm. um, because we're only on episode one now. But trust me, Charles, it gets better. Okay, let's go. Well, I'm already really impressed. It's a very charming pilot. Okay. To be honest, it has a charmed. lot of heart and a lot of charm onto it. Okay. Should we jump in? Is there any other kind of base ground we should talk about or? No, not really. I think we're, I mean, for right now, I think we're covering all the bases. Yeah, let's all do right. it. All right. So, the first scene, we're on a plane. Joel Fleischman is uh, this our main character. He's this uh, previous med school student who's going to take a job in Alaska as a doctor. Right? Yeah, he's uh, he's done his residency, so he's already passed medical school. He did his residency somewhere in New York. I forgot the exact name of the. Well, hospital. he wears a Columbia sweater. He you're right. Columbia he does wear a Columbia sweater. You're right. Um, but I don't know if that's where he did his residency. He might've just went True. to medical school right there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or he went to the gift shop at Columbia that, University. <laughs> that too. He wants to just flex on people and just saying like, I went to Columbia sweatshop place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So the pilot, the way that it starts is that he's just on an airplane and he's talking with just a random passenger. It's like, it's like, you know, you're, it's your airplane buddy. Like you're assigned a seat. So you have to talk yeah, to this. Yeah. Once to talk we get off this airplane, we're no longer friends. Don't yeah. look me in the eyes. We don't know each other. <laughs> but once, but we're we're gonna have to spend this long flight, I guess, from New York to Alaska. So yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, I like his drink of choice. He orders a ginger ale. Mm. It's great. Is that is that what you would do oh, on yeah, an airplane? Absolutely. That's my number one drink I go to. It's ginger See, ale on an airplane. I'm gonna flip it on you. I I go for the V8. I go for the tomato juice. Oh yeah, I've heard good things about that. I gotta try that. So. I never really drink it anywhere else. It just feels like an airplane drink. You I, know? I think it's something to do with the pressure, like up in the airplane, up in the sky. Oh really? You think? <laughs> yeah, I think it's that. Or or maybe it's just like a really good drink to have for like a very last one in case like the plane goes down. <laughs> it's like the well, good last drink. It's I think it's like a uh a non-common drink. Like people don't normally drink. I guess it's more, for me, it's like a Bloody Mary almost, you know, but mm-hmm. you know, if you order a drink on an airplane, I guess it, it's not complimentary. So that's or true. An alcoholic drink. I should right, say. Right. But I like that. Interesting. It's him in a plane and he's, I think it just goes straight into the dialogue. Like yeah. there's not even any setup. It's just him mm-hmm. in the plane. And he's talking with them saying what his life's been about and how he's going to Alaska. Yeah. You know, he just got sent there for a scholarship and he applied to, I think the number was 74. 74 uh, scholarships that okay. he applied to. All turned out. Yeah. All turned out except for one. Alaska. So the, yeah, okay. In case you missed it, audience, uh, the state of Alaska paid for Joel's medical school and uh, the stipulation in the contracts being after he, you know, becomes a doctor, he has to serve a term of, what is it, like a year or is it four years in Alaska? I want to say it's four years. Four years in Alaska. Maybe it's less. God, we should probably get this right. But he has to serve some amount of time. We're about to get this big city kid, this big city man coming to the small town Alaska. So you get the idea. One thing I want to talk about about the scene, the way the scene ends is it's ends in this uh, beautiful sort of like, you have the dialogue, as you said, and then the shot kind of becomes this, uh, we move back into this wide shot. There's no dialogue. Um, his airplane buddy, like, you know, they end their conversation, his airplane, airplane buddy cuts the light out, you know, and Joel's just mm-hmm. sitting there alone in this empty wide shot and he cuts the light off too. I, I, don't, I don't know, maybe it'll make more sense later, but something about ending a scene in a wide shot, because normally wide shots you are used to establish yeah, sort of the yeah. location, but we end the scene in this very empty frame, um, quiet, there's no dialogue that's happening in the shot, mm-hmm. it's just this big empty canvas in a way that kind of you know, lets you kind of take in the, it sets a, a pace for the, for the scene, at least, you know, it lets you take in like the idea of what just happened. Yeah. Yeah. You could just sit there and just revel in the silence and exactly what you're talking about. And the show does that, I think pretty well in a, in a lot of cases. Well, it's perfect to do that because it's out in the wilderness of Alaska. Very contemplative. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then it goes straight into the opening credits. Yeah. So, I mean, we just, we talked about it already, but what do you think about, what do you think about this opening credits? Um, I remember thinking a decade ago when I watched this, I, I think I made fun of you for even liking this television show. Cause I, I literally thought it was just about like a moose. It just like walked around town or something <laughs> kind of like a bear grill situation, like a nature show. Like I, I had no yeah. idea what this television show was about. And this moose is just going around town. And I think the iconic from what I can gather, the most iconic shot is that one of that cafe. Yo, the Rosalind cafe. The Rosalind cafe. Yeah. Or That's Rosalind's what, cafe. So I don't know if you know this bit of trivia, but the show was shot in the city of Rosalind, Washington, I believe. So the Rosalind Cafe is actually referring to the city of Washington, but the crew, when they're up there, they painted uh, the apostrophe S to make it Rosalind's Cafe. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of like mentioned in some dialogue in this episode. That's, yeah, it's mentioned in yeah. the... Maurice tells Joel, uh, it's like, you know, some hippie came through town and uh, he forgot to do yeah, the apostrophe Yeah, he had to do it S. himself. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think that was just some way of the show trying to differentiate itself because the show itself uh, is set in a fictional town called Sicily, Alaska, not 
not in Roslyn, Washington. Mm-hmm. And we're, out, not, we're in Alaska. Yeah, it's Cecily spelled with a C, right? Yeah. Not with, like, not like because the, it's named it was, after, I don't know if they mentioned it in the pilot, but the town is named after its founder, Sicily. You'll, yeah, you'll get yeah, there. exactly. But yeah, okay, yeah, so theme song. Is it, I mean, for me, it was always a skippable. I, I didn't, I'm not a fan of the theme song. Yeah, if this was particularly, on Netflix. Exactly. If not trying was, to dog it. It's like, <laughs> I, I, it brings back fond memories, but I'll, I'll skip it. Yeah, that's how I feel too. This was like on Netflix and you see like in the bottom right that skip intro button. I'm yeah. definitely pressing that. And we're going to go ahead through Which there. actually, that's kind of a problem because this show isn't available on any streaming platform and it, I don't think it ever has been. Yeah, it's... Uh, so I don't know, anyone who's listening to this podcast will have to buy the DVDs. Yeah, you'll have to go to a physical brick and mortar store or well, online, I, I guess. I'm, just order it. I'm going to do my hardest. Like I'm trying to get as many of my friends to watch this show. So if you want to watch the show, you know, just ask me. I'll, 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 I'll make sure you can see it. I got DVDs, you know. Hopefully one day it'll be on. You're going to send it to every single person that writes in? <laughs> Uh, I mean, how big is our audience? We'll that's, see. that's true. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. You're right. So we go uh, to the next scene and he's speaking. I don't I, I Who is that person that he's speaking to? Because he's uh, an authoritative figure. He kind of feels like he's like a, a travel agent or something, but he's not. He's like has to do with the. With the contract that he signed. Yeah. He's associated with them, but he never make it clear in the scene. It's a businessy, officey guy. He's He's rolling around in his desk chair a lot. Um, basically talking over, it's like, all right, Joel, you arrived, you're in Alaska. Um, here's the deal. I know we said you're going to Anchorage, but actually, uh, we're, we're overfunded. We're overfunded. We, we don't need you. Doctors here. We don't need you. Joel has a little freak out. He's like, you don't need me. That's great. I can go back to New York. Yeah. No, the truth is he's got to go to Sicily. Yeah. They, and he tells them in that scene, he's like, oh, anytime you want to leave, just you can just call it. Just call yeah. us. We'll, we'll, we'll let you through. Yeah, we'll see how that works out. Um, but Joel is a little nervous about signing on to Sicily because it's much smaller than Anchorage. Mm-hmm. Um, though this travel agent man, whatever, whatever his job is, um, Peter Gillum or Peter Gilliam or whatever mm-hmm. his name is. Peter um, Gillum. Yeah, he uh, claims it to be the Alaskan Riviera. He's like trying to talk it up to Joel. Joel's very tepid, very, you know, he's like kind of unsure of the idea, but he agrees with the stipulation that at any point, if he doesn't like it, he can call and get out of there. And so next, um, we have this little sequence where Joel's on this bus ride. Cause he's, it's a bus ride from Anchorage to get to Sicily. Um, this for me is an example of something that happens in the pilot that will never happen in the show proper. It's like this silent film montage because he's, it's just like a sequence of, um, shots of Joel in this bus, no dialogue, no audio. It's just music playing throughout. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a silent film. And it's yeah. some, there's some goofs like Joel bumps his head onto the seat yeah. cushion in front of him. I guess it shows some character development because he doesn't like it when the guy leans on him. But he's also not yeah. uh, confident enough to tell him to, say, to wake him up and say, like, hey, could you get off of me? He kind of just well, begrudgingly accepts his situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is what's he's, happening. He's, yeah. But I mean, for me, it's, it's like, uh, it kind of feels like filler, obviously, because there's no dialogue. Yeah. There's nothing really. And that's something that, as I said, like that won't, that doesn't really happen ever again in the show, stuff like that. There's, there's some, there's some other things I'll point out in the pilot that fans of the show will recognize. Like this is kind of an odd fit for Northern Exposure, but Hey, it's what, this is what happens well, in the pilot. pilot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we are introduced to our first kind of colorful cast member, Ed Chigliak, who picks up Joel from the bus. Oh, stop. that's his last name. 
Uh, I guess it's not mentioned in the first episode, but his last name is Chigliak. That is crazy, Chigliak. So what are your, what's your impressions, first time impressions of Ed? Yeah, uh, first I love how he rolls up uh, to the bus stop because they leave him stranded. That's what happens. Yeah, he's, he's sitting there for hours or something. He's sitting there for hours with his golf clubs and his suitcase and he's just sitting on the side of a road and, and suddenly Ed pulls up in a colorful yellow truck and says like, get in. And just yeah. like, doesn't really try to introduce or like clarify the situation that he's in. He just says like, oh, you, you're Joel. Come on in, man. Come inside my truck. And I like, I like Ed, man. I really do. He's a really youthful character. I can tell that this is going to be a, yeah. a character that I'm going to love. He's, he's got like that youthful naivete. He's just like a cool kid with a leather jacket. Yeah. He likes good music, you know, mm-hmm. uh, he puts on a tape of, uh, it's like Louie Louie by Richard Berry. Yeah. And after I, you know, saw this show when I was in high school, I listened to that song so many times. I don't know. Here's an interesting, just a little tidbit. I've listened to the song a lot mm-hmm. after watching the show and going back to watch the show. I don't know if it's just the DVD version of it, but the song itself in the show uh, sounds like it's sped up or slowed down. It sounds like it's in a different key. Really? And I have no idea. Sorry. I have no idea how how would that happen like maybe it was um the tape playing at a different speed or i did the sound editor decide to uh was he trying to change it? yeah maybe he was trying to change the speed of the song so that it would only play like a certain portion of the song for the scene mm-hmm. i don't know how that i mean i've never done that in in my work but maybe that's how maybe that's how how it works or how they how they did it in the it's 90s it's not a cover right like it's the um, original i actually i don't know that's a good question i mean i know it predates probably the kingsman god i i could be totally wrong let me look this up real fast but uh one thing i noticed is that he's asking where they are where, where they are in the truck and he just glides through the question he doesn't care whatsoever and just talks more about music and then and possibly my favorite scene okay. in the entire pilot is when he just he says all right i'm out and he just gets out the truck oh wait wait well, go ahead, but we're okay. gonna we're gonna jump back. We're gonna actually. jump back. Okay. Well, let, let's get there in a second. But I forgot to mention that the creators of Northern Exposure um, were actually had a successful show before Northern Exposure called Saint Elsewhere, which Ed references in like three lines of dialogue in this scene. Like he's like, I love because uh, because Joel mentions that he's a doctor, or yeah. Ed knows that Joel is a doctor, so he's like, oh, like. Ed starts quoting St. Elsewhere, which is a show about a hospital. Oh. And then he's like, oh, I love St. Elsewhere. It's my favorite show. And that's it's what just I was like the showrunners like kind of like- Patting themselves on the back. Know? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's what I just wanted to say that real fast. And also that the Richard Berry version of Louis Louis predates the Kingsman version. I can't figure out who wrote this. I guess it's uh, originally, I think it was originally recorded by Richard Berry, though- there's a whole Wikipedia article about how the song was inspired by other previous recordings or previous uh, compositions, whatever. We're just going to go ahead and say, on the record, <laughs> Richard Berry wrote this song day one. He's got all the rights to it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, they got to send write a check to him every single time. But no, please, I didn't mean to cut you off because you obviously no, no, no. love this part of the show. <laughs> I love that you love it. So let's go. Let's jump back in. Where yeah, uh, he's just going and they're. And he's just in the middle of nowhere. He's not like he's next to a building or somewhere to indicate that you would stop. He stops literally in the middle of the woods and then he just gets oh, yeah. out. He, he starts walking out. into yeah. the trees. I love I love uh, reaction shots and like just like a shot, reverse shot whenever like, you know, okay, so Ed walks away and mm-hmm. then it cuts to Joel and Joel's like, where are you going? What's going on? 
on. And then it cuts back to Ed. No dialogue. It's just like the back of him and he like disappears into some trees. I love like people walking away and there's like no dialogue. It's just like you just see someone like walking and then it cuts back and they're just like the other person's like, stop, what are you doing? Yeah, it is in shock. Well, the best part is that, and you know, I talked about it before, but he literally just walks into wilderness. Yeah. He parts some trees and just starts walking into the forest. Like that's where he lives. Yeah, so you, you we start a little bit of this world building of this weird sort of like outdoorsman universe that Joel yeah. has walked into. It's like, you don't walk on streets, you walk through wooded paths, you yeah. know, like, you know, we're, we're going to see what Sicily, Alaska is all about. Um, next scene is Joel meets, uh, Maurice Minifield, who I guess is some sort of like, well, I'll tell you one thing. He's not the governor or he's not like the mayor of, mm-hmm. uh, Sicily. Um, we don't talk about that, I guess, until later episodes, but he's very, wealthy kind of uh, influential person in Sicily. And he kind of has this mission for Joel. Like he wants Joel to be the best doctor for Sicily. He's excited to have Joel in town. Maurice Minifield is introduced. I don't know what he's doing. He's like is that doing some work on his roof or something, but he repels yeah. off of his like seal off of his roof and obvious stunt double shocks. It's like, Hey, is that you, Maurice? And then it's like, yeah. And then it cuts to another shot and it's just like this stunt double. Yeah, it's, it's back to him <laughs> yeah. perfectly. And just like this very like fit man. And then it cuts back to Maurice, who's kind of a little stocky, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong. We're not body shaming him. But uh, I, I just don't think that he would be able to, you know, repel down perfectly as they did in that shot. All right. So, you know, you probably got caught the drift already, but we're, we're this pilot is very much a laundry list of just like introducing new characters. What is your opinion? of Maurice Minifield. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think right now we're just being introduced to a bunch of colorful characters and Maurice is just the next one up the line. Uh, my first impression just in this scene is that um, I thought he was going to be like a father figure. I thought he was oh, going to yeah. yeah, I guess take he has, okay. He's going to take him in and teach him about the town and he's going to be understanding about his plight and the situation that he's in. He was going to try to guide him and help him out throughout yeah. all of the ordeals that he's dealing with in Sicily. Okay, well, we'll, we'll I- Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, uh, from what I gather, he's an astronaut, right? Yeah, so it's kind of glossed over, but, um, and it's kind of, you know, it's like, um, he's, he mentioned something and Joel's like, wait, you were an astronaut? And Maurice's reply is, uh, yeah, I did my flight or something. Like, he doesn't really say a certain, mm-hmm. he doesn't give like a hard and fast answer, but yes, Maurice's character was an astronaut. He was involved in some parade in New York. That's how it, uh, like the Macy's Day Parade, no, Ticker Tape. The Ticker Tape Parade, yeah. Um, that's how the subject came up. And um, uh, I'm rewatching the show right now, so I'm, I don't have the clearest memory of like what exactly Maurice did as an astronaut. And maybe the show actually doesn't really say. I mean, it may be, maybe it will. But all I'm going to say is uh, right now, you get this general sense that he has this mysterious astronaut past mm-hmm. and um, throughout the show, I think the show Bible is very loose about Maurice being an astronaut. It's like, yes, he is an astronaut. What did he do? There's no, there's no specific that I can recall. Like, I don't know what missions or it's not, it's kind of just like a, a little color to to his character. Oh yeah. I yeah. mean, it plays okay. a big role in the climax of this episode. We'll get there. Yeah. But um, specifically, Yes, he's an astronaut. What did he do? I, I don't know. Well, maybe we'll find out. I'm trying to remember what the next scene goes to. Oh, right. They go into town. 
Yes. He just says, like, I'm going to give you a tour of the town and start yeah. driving into it. And then there's like a dog. The, the way they introduce the scene is that a dog just crosses the street. Yeah, there's just, just a dog, dog sleeping in the middle of the street. And then when the car comes by, the dog's like, all right, I'll move. Yeah, there's so many shots of just animals roaming the streets. Which is great. Uh, we'll get there. I want to talk about this a little later. But yeah, there's some, you know, uh, Rosalind, Washington or wherever it was. Rosalind is a beautiful city. Sicily, Alaska, the fictional uh, the fictional town is very beautiful. Like we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it a little more, but if you have anything important to say about this, uh, Maurice brings Joel to his doctor's office, mm-hmm. um, kind of a boring scene, but I guess it establishes some things. It's like we get there. Joel's office is this decrepit old building that is not in any way prepared to be a doctor's office. Like it's still a little abandoned storefront. basically. Yeah. It also, they don't turn on the lights in there. Like, I mean, maybe there's no running electricity. That's what, is I was what I'm too. gathering. Yeah. Like they must've done, cause they must've done so much work in one day. They got like a new coat of paint on it. Yeah. They got electricity. Oh, wait, wait. Yeah. So yeah. we'll get there. But yeah, basically the very next day when Joel returns, it looks like, I mean, it doesn't look like a doctor's office, but it looks completely different. Like, <laughs> like there's, there are new, like there's new walls. There's like new, there's, there's a lights. desk and everything, yeah. electricity, yeah. Uh, modern <laughs> appliances, a telephone. Yeah. Like it's got all those things. And it's, you know, purported that, uh, Ed was the person who did all this apparently. Yes, so. Ed, who I don't think we were introduced to in this, uh, sh- in this pilot, right? No, Ed is the first character, the person in the car, Ed Chigliak. That's Ed. That, oh okay. my God, I missed out on that. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's not, you know, you, you, you can infer this, but it, it'll be made clear later, but Ed works for Maurice a lot. You mm-hmm. know, it's a small town. These characters are going to overlap. Okay. A lot. Yeah. That totally <laughs> confused me. Cause they said Ed yeah, and, and like, I didn't put that? two and two together. Cause he's such a kid. I didn't think he could do that. <laughs> I, I didn't realize he had handyman skills with that. It actually makes total perfect sense. Cause he drives them. Yeah. And then now he's doing all this Brings handyman him, yeah, stuff. He does all You're this actually, kind of like, yeah. Odd job. Yeah, sort of yeah. I just blanked out right there. No, it's uh, all good. Um, to me, that was kind of a, that's a dip in the in the episode. It's kind of a boring scene to mm-hmm. me. Not a lot happens. I guess it's just kind of some information. But the next scene is uh, our first scene in the bar. Well, that, let's talk about what sets him off to the bar. Oh, yes. Go ahead. Yeah, because he meets... Uh, I don't think she introduces her name in this scene. Yeah, but this is Marilyn. She, she emerges from the shadows. Yeah. And, and he she wants out, a job from him? Yeah, she just says, like, I'm here for the job. And then that's what sets him off. That's the last yeah. straw on the camel's back. Because then the next scene is him. You like, get him running through. I, I love, like, a, a good telephoto shot where someone's, like, running down the barrel of the camera. You know, like, running towards camera or, like, running yeah. away from camera. <laughs> get that nice telephoto running effect. I love it. Uh, yeah, and he just runs straight to a bar. I, yeah. I guess it was, yeah, I don't know if that was purposeful or if we just happened to pick the bar. Yeah, right there. I, I mean, there's probably like just one bar in Sicily. That's I true, imagine. yeah, it's one bar. And uh, I don't know, did, did they mention this? But this is The Brick. We'll be we'll be returning here. It's later. called The Brick? The Brick is okay. the name of the bar. Yeah, oh, before we get there, there is a shot right when he's running through the streets and there's like a like a marquee of sorts and it says, welcome, Dr. Flash. Yes, uh, yeah. that's the telephoto shot. Yeah, it starts as that, I love that. Yeah, it starts the telephoto and then mm-hmm. it pan, it tilts up. And it says, welcome, uh, Dr. Flashman. Yeah, Dr. Flashman. And I like that. I think that's our first uh, indication that everyone in the town knows that he's coming. Yes, everyone's like watching him. Everyone already knows who he is. Yes. It's it's not like he's going to be just, he has to knock door on door to other people to introduce himself. They all know that a new doctor is coming. To, I love that. To like a kid from New York, like maybe that's a little terrifying too. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. this shot is like pure terror almost. Or he's just like, I got to, like he does, he does a lot of running in this episode. He just keeps running. Yeah, he things. really does. 
But yeah, I, and I love, oh my God, we're going to jump ahead, but you know, he does a lot of running in the show and then he does like a slow walk, you know, there's the, the, to me, like one of the climb, the climax of this episode, perhaps like the whole crux of the show mm-hmm. is like the moment when Joel decides in this episode, Joel, like he walks back with Marilyn into the doctor's office. Oh, you're right. Yeah, we're yeah. jumping ahead. We're but... jumping way ahead, but yeah, yeah. That, we're going to bring that back. Okay. We'll, all we'll right. Fine. Yeah. We'll, we'll go in order. Um, we're going order. So he goes into the bar and he's freaking out and he asks the bartender, um, where the nearest telephone is. And he goes like out there in the back and he goes there and he panics and he starts calling everyone. And a lot of television shows do this now. Um, they'll have a side-by-side comparison of the two people talking. And I know they're not actually filming in live time, but they'll usually have the other actor play back the the okay. lines and the roles. On this one, they didn't. It was just Joel speaking into the telephone. Oh, yeah, like when you're talking about telephone, yeah. yeah. You just see Joel's side. You just see Joel's side, and you see him just acting out the entire telephone call, and you see it going down south I mean, real hey, quick. Uh, I'm not going to, like praise i think rob morrow is a fine actor you know mm-hmm. he's he's good he's great i love him i think he does a pretty good job in this scene yeah because like like you said it just stays on him yeah. and he's like yelling you get a good little taste of that like new york joel mm-hmm. like this is something that you'll see a lot of joel is just like freaking out um mm-hmm. to pete gillum or whoever like you know because he's like yelling yeah. about the contract and uh you get a, you get a good uh complainy joel which is you know, yeah this I is also- so much energy. I don't think that Peter handled that very professionally because he just hangs up on him. Oh, yeah. So if we haven't mentioned, yeah, Joel was led to believe that if he wanted to leave at any time, he could. And as it turns out, it's not the case. Complete oh, well, no. What's the thing? It's uh, it's like um, like $100,000 or 18 years in jail and 18 years in jail. <laughs> that's it's like, you, it's like, that's a well-written joke. Yeah, that's, you like so that? Great. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm going to, yeah, uh, Charles is also kind of an authority on comedy, at least for me. So I'm going to test some of these jokes out on you. <laughs> Unfortunately, like uh, most of the, most of the jokes that I noted in this episode don't really land for me, but really, but that's a good one, I think. And I'm, I'm glad yeah. that you like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think, um, the next, the next follow-up is him calling his girlfriend, right? Yeah. Or is it his fiance? His, it's his fiance. fiance. Immediately. And he has a whole separate tone. That's why I'm saying like this, it's a fun scene for this mm-hmm. actor. Cause he gets to play like, he gets to play like erratic and mm-hmm. like screaming. And then he is very like coddling and like, Oh very yeah, loving. thank you. Yeah. Thanks babe. All right. Talk to you soon. <laughs> He's like cracking up inside, but he is trying to compose like a mm-hmm. lovey dovey speech for, yeah. And I think this is where the townsfolk suddenly learned that he doesn't <laughs> want to be there. Cause he it freaks out. He calls them all. What, what, what was the insult he called them? Uh, I didn't, I, I didn't, remember it was I didn't redneck. Note it down, but something redneck. I don't know if there was an adjective in front of it's redneck. It's a very long string of, um, superlatives almost <laughs> and then and then it cuts to the reaction shot of these people who were playing pool and now they're just like staring at him mm-hmm. like they've stopped their game of pool yeah and then it cuts back to joel and he's like oh did i say that out loud you know it's it's a classic it's a funny sitcom shot move shot yeah. Shot. yeah classic classic sitcom move but then uh he just resigns his fate he, and what's really great is that he says like all right i'm going to give you the telephone number of this bar that i'm at and then he just camps there in the bar. Yeah, he's got to sit there to wait to wait for the there, return yeah. call. Because because uh, Elaine, who is his fiance, is also his attorney. I guess like his lawyer. Well, that's a because she's a law student. That it's, she's it's a, and it's not established that she's a law student. That's yeah. the best part. When and they, there's a joke when the bartender Halling, who we'll get to, he comes up 
And um, he's like, so I guess you're still waiting on your attorney to call back. And Jill, something, Jill says something like, yeah, you, you can imagine this is a very complex legal um, affair. Um, also, she's got finals. Yes, so, that's you know, the like best she's, part. Yeah, <laughs> she's that's also a, got finals. Another good joke in this episode. Yeah. yeah. I know I was like ragging on it earlier. There's some good jokes. In it. <laughs> um, and then he goes up to the bar. Uh, and that's when we're formally introduced to the bartender. Yeah. So Holling Vancouver, which... Ah oh, man, I hate that I keep just saying like, you'll see what happens uh, if you keep watching or like, you don't know yet. But I mean, that's a thing. Like, you know, you're new to the show, but Holling is probably the character whose um, who's outward appearance kind of changes the most drastically mm-hmm. from the pilot. Like he, he looks, he's got this very weird, like his skin tone is completely different. He's got a uh, five o'clock shadow, which is way more enhanced in the pilot than it is in any other episode. He's got this weird like Western vest. Like it looks yeah. like he just went to a costume shop. You know, <laughs> his character is very, very much a caricature of the hauling Vancouver that you will um, come to know. But um, that's my two cents about hauling. But let's hear, what do you think about this character from from a first time watch. Yeah. Um, well going forward just a little bit, I'm going to add a little bit more with him. Okay. The next scene with him, when he, he meets him at the bar and he's talking with him and then he's camped out at the telephone and then Holland comes and offers him food. And he yeah. knows he just heard that whole tirade from him about how he thinks they're all rednecks. Yeah, uh, calling out, uh, not only Holland, but just everyone in Sicily. Yeah. And the entire town. And he's still kind of, he doesn't even bring it up. He doesn't even try to rub it in his face. That's the small town hospitality, you know. That's the thing, you know, that, you know. Yeah, he didn't It wasn't even a power play move when he gives him the food. (laughs) He genuinely cared for Joel and he gives him uh, a beer and some, I think it's nachos is what he gives him before I can tell him the plate. And he gives him that and it's free. It's on the house. And I think that was like, that's really nice. So from my first impression of him, he's also like a father figure. He's got two father figures in there. Yeah, Yeah, a lot of dads in this show for Charles. Okay. Yeah, a lot of father figures for Joel who uh, I guess... Like, I guess he needs one, I guess, like a guiding figure because he's in a transitory period of his life. Sure. I don't know if there's a father figure for Joel, but I would, I'm interested to see where this comes. I want to hear your theories. Yeah, like, I, yeah. I don't know if I agree with that, but, <laughs> but uh, no, 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 this is good. This is good. Like, uh, I, I can get that. I definitely, yeah, I don't think you're wrong about um, Maurice being a father figure. Mm-hmm. He plays a father figure throughout the show to multiple characters um we'll talk about Mm -hmm. it when we get there um but uh another cool thing about maurice and about this scene is we got a subplot all right so so far first subplot yes this episode has been all about introducing joel to new characters and now uh through some overheard dialogue between ed at the bar with joel and hauling it turns out that hauling and maurice have this feud. It's a deadly feud. Don't yeah. kill one another. They're gonna, it's lethal, but we don't know exactly the nature of it, but we have this sense that there's a plot brewing. Something's going to happen by the end of the episode. We'll get there. Well, one thing I wanted to point out was that in that same scene in the bar, he asked Maurice on more details about their, their feud, their, their lethal feud. He asked Holling. Yeah. Yeah. Holling. 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 I'm so sorry. No, um, okay. He asked Holling about more about the feud and he explains it to him. But I wonder if Joel is wondering about the feud because he thinks that as a doctor, he's going to want to know how this came about. Or do you think it actually came from a compassionate point of view? Like, am I making myself clear? Uh, r- remind me of the scene. I didn't know that he asks Holling in this Yeah. Scene. Well, he asked him for a personal question. He says like, oh, do you mind if I ask you for a personal question? Yeah. He says like, oh, go right ahead. And he says, 
well, how did your feud start? Like, start giving me details about this. And it's the first time that Joel is actually being empathetic throughout the entire yeah. show. And I'm wondering if he's wanting to know more about this feud so that he knows to prepare himself down the road. It's like, all right, he's probably going to come into my office. All right, well, here's well, here's my take on that. And uh-huh. this is, we're going to have to jump ahead now. We're yeah. going to have to. Uh, yes. Okay, if I, we're going to talk about this. Um, I think this show, sorry, I think this pilot does a pretty good job of um, illustrating this key fact about Joel is that he, we've seen him like at his worst when he's like yelling at Pete Gilliam over the phone. Mm-hmm. But, um, as you'll see in this episode, when he's treating patients, sort of the show isn't necessarily about, um, medicine in the same way that St. Elsewhere might be. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't really watched a lot of that show. I've seen a couple of the episodes uh, in the first season. Uh, this isn't like a show like ER where it's like very, it's a medical drama. It's not, it's not, it's not very, um, it doesn't get into like the nitty gritty textbook medicine. This is a show about interpersonal connections between the people in Sicily, Alaska. And a lot of the times the way they're able to uh, illustrate the the personal connection between a doctor and it's his patient, yeah, um, yeah, his or her patient. And, you know, it's a little cheesy in this episode, but as you see in this episode when he's treating uh, number six, who we'll get to, he almost plays like a psychological role, like a like a therapist yeah, role, like, like a couple's counsel, yeah, uh, well, counselor. Because he's coming from the outside. Yeah. He makes such a wonderful third party yeah. uh, arbitrator role of being able to decide and be able to dole out uh, healthy as close to unbiased yeah. and biased as he can. So we see it here. This is his very first scene yeah. where he's trying to figure out the feud between these two men and yeah. he wants to know more about it. And that's cool. You actually caught on to that a lot. Like, even though I just kind of like laid out my thesis about it, I think you caught on to that a lot sooner than me because the moment for me where it hits in the episode is, uh, when he's looking at the, um, this lady brings in, uh, his patient, uh, this lady brings in her beaver, it's mm-hmm. a pet beaver who has like a dental problem. Yeah. And the great thing about the scene is one, it's funny, but also Joel is like, he's genuinely not only concerned, but he's like very interested in it. Where yeah. it's like, if, if I were a doctor and someone brought an animal into my office, if I were in New York, mm-hmm. I'd be like, Whoa, the health code violation. What's going on here? <laughs> like this, but Joel is like actually surprisingly like this is not what I would expect from the character, but he's actually interested in, in it. He's like, huh? It's like you know, I'm not a dentist, I'm not a veterinarian, veterinarian yeah. but um, yeah. Let me see. Open yeah, his open mouth. mouth. Yeah, Let's take a look. Yeah. It's like, and that scene is where it really sold me. Where it's like, okay, Joel is has that side of him where, you know. There's, there's this, an altruistic there's cool, side. Yeah. There's this cool thing about doctors, and it's not that they're smart and they know everything about medicine, but it's how they talk to people and how they understand. You know, it's like they're not all psychologists or whatever, but they all know this very the best. You know, any good doctor yeah, knows how have, to talk to a patient. You know? Exactly, they have great bedside manners. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about this like really quickly? No, sure. Yeah, the, go ahead, yeah, because we haven't really t- discussed Joel's profession as a yeah. whole. Is that he is a doctor, mm-hmm. um, and I, I know that like uh, up there in the upper echelon of jobs to have, but it's also, I would argue, you have to be incredibly compassionate to mm-hmm. be a doctor. You, you're going to, exactly what you said, where he was willing to look at this beaver. He has no experience with beavers, but he was willing to look at it because he just wanted to alleviate pain that it was causing its owner. So that's just one of the traits that most, not all, but like most <laughs> doctors possess is wanting to help and suffering if they can. Yeah. Um, so it, it is a noble profession, even for Joel to go into, even 
initially. Yeah, he think, seems crabby, but he seems he's a crabby. human being, and he's funny. Like we already, we I think we already like this kind of like Jewish doctor, you know, for like a better <laughs> term. Like that's what the show calls him. You know, he he's 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 a eccentric person, but we already kind of like are sold on his um, goofy personality. Um, and you know, he has some of these shortcomings. He's got like a hot temper, mm -hmm. but it's fun. It's almost fun to watch him freak out because he's right. like, he's a little victim and he can't do anything about it. Um, <laughs> and it's like just a funny situation to be in. Yeah. But yeah, just, um, uh, great that he's a doctor. All right. Let's keep this things rolling. Let's mm -hmm. keep this thing rolling. Uh, we have our next character is Maggie O'Connell who enters. Do you remember this scene? Or? Yes. Yes. She let's comes. hear it from, yeah, let's hear from your. So we got another new character, Maggie. Does she have a last name? O'Connell. O'Connor. Maggie O'Connor. O'Connell. O'Connell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we're introduced to her and she starts badgering um, Joel for a little bit. And we don't really understand why. And Joel mistakes her for uh, a lady of the night, mistakes her for a prostitute. Yeah. It's an interesting, like, I don't know how he would do it, but uh, reviewing, I've seen this episode a lot. Like I understand where the writers are going with it. Um, but essentially Maggie's trying to get his attention. Um, and Joel's not listening to her cause I think he's on the phone and Maggie says, look, if you'd rather spend your night here than at my place, don't let me get in your way. Oh, and he's right, like, yeah. he takes that to mean like, Oh, this is a prostitute that wants to take him back to her, um, brothel or whatever, This tower? which is like kind of a, a far reach, yeah. but I, I can see where the writers are going. Um, but also this town has a population of how many people would you say? <laughs> Like um, 50? I think there's a sign. I think it, there's a sign of it. There's a sign it's of like it? It's like 400 signs. Oh, that's way more than I thought. I could be wrong. But they, I, I feel like every job's vital for this uh, job's economy. So I don't there think needs they can be, be one prostitute. One prostitute. Kind of like the town drunk. It's like there's one town drunk, one prostitute. You managed to find the one prostitute. But yeah, yeah. So there's, uh, from the get-go, they have a very um, bumpy yeah, sort of I like. Yeah, I like her though. She's uh, very fiery. Um, fiery. As we'll see, she's like a very self-driven woman. Mm -hmm. She's a pilot, like an Amelia yeah, Earhart, yeah. pretty much just like this very feminist. Mm -hmm. It's funny because uh, Joel will later say like uh, in this episode, he's like, um, she says, um, oh, I, I, uh, I fly. Like he asks, he asks, what do you do? I fly. He's like, oh, you're a stewardess. Oh, sorry. I mean, flight attendant. Yes. She's like, I'm a pilot. <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah. So it's that whole, like, kind of like. You know, she him kinda, underestimating her exactly. based on sexist uh, attitudes. <laughs> yeah. but in, I mean, it wasn't in the 1990s. But which is great because we have this character who is we get we get this straw man of Joel who like Maggie can knock down, you know, mm -hmm. this like imbecile Joel who like underestimates her and is like, no, you dummy, like, you know, women yeah. are people too, you know. Yeah. <laughs> women, women can be pilots, women have jobs. What a broad um, idea from 1990. Yeah. Oh my god. No. <laughs> um, so then we're introduced that it's her it's actually his landlord. Yeah. And then he goes to Yeah, that was the whole thing about staying at my place. Because yeah. it's like her apartment that she's gonna rent him. But yeah, she's his landlord. And it, it's a cabin, right? Yeah. Well let me I let me just say this. Uh I was gonna say, like, what do you what are your thoughts of his apartment cabin. I, I really like it actually. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it's cozy. I think I, I know it's a cool, a cool. Yeah. It's a pretty good it's get, cool location. man. Yeah. I know you got to chop your own wood as she says <laughs> when it gets too hot, but yeah, it's got electricity running through it. There's a lamp in the scene. There's a great, yeah, there's a great uh, shot in this sequence where it's all plays out in one shot. And Joel is kind of like walking around the space and kind of like, going off camera, coming back onto camera and he's just kind of like talking throughout and he's like, yeah, this place is a uh, kind of charming in a, you know, charming sort of way. You know? <laughs> like you just can't find the word for it. But, um, I thought I always, I love, I love that, um, uh, line of dialogue. That line. Um, 
the scene ends and it's him going to sleep. He picks up a tr- uh, a garbage bag. Yeah. Some sort of trash bag of sorts. And I've rewatched it two or three times, that exact scene. I'm trying to figure out what word is he saying? Well, he says, um, oh, is that a rat? A rat. And she says, yeah. Okay, yeah. it's rat. Okay, yeah, I was trying think? to understand. I was like, what is he, like what did rap? You, like, uh, I didn't, like, I didn't, it didn't make yeah. any sense to me. But the next sequence is him trying to go to sleep at night and you hear like this like scurrying sound. Joel is like clinching one mm-hmm. of his golf clubs. He's like terrified in bed, clinching a golf club and uh, you hear like this weird kind of, it's basically like a rat. You hear like a rat scurrying mm-hmm. and then um, it goes on for a couple seconds and then it's like this loud snap, the snap of like a mouse trap, and Joel lets out this big sigh of relief and just like. You know, he can go to sleep now. I, I, I thought that was like a funny, it's always yeah. a funny sequence to me. And then, yeah. And then it goes up to the morning and it's, we're revealed the size of the rat, which is yeah. huge. This weird like rat prop. I see, this is probably the, the, the least funniest part of the episode to me. Maybe it's just my sense of humor, but he's like, oh God, oh God, oh God. <laughs> and he like goes to like, cause he's, he's got this rat that died last night at the mousetrap and he's got to throw it away and he doesn't want to touch it. So it's yeah. at the end of like the golf club. Well, in his defense, I don't blame him. That rat's the size of his head, man. That is the biggest rat. I don't know if they're just really big in Alaska yeah. or what's up, but it's, it's just, yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe it's bigger in Alaska, but uh, it's just kind of a little goofy for my it taste, is. but it's a, it's a goofy show. Yeah. But. And then he, uh, he, I guess he just realizes how beautiful the environment is. Well, he realizes how like, in the middle of nowhere he oh, is like yeah. there's like nothing he like looks around i interpreted that scene differently than you did <laughs> yeah well because he gets there uh when he first arrives in the apart in the cabin mm-hmm. it's like pitch black night right and so this is his first time outside of the apartment in the daytime mm-hmm. and he's there's nothing around him and he's like um but it is beautiful obviously yeah. like yeah so you, i wouldn't say you interpreted that wrong like that it's a very beautiful scenery um but it's um, you know, he's. I think he's frightened because like he just starts running into town. Like I just thought he was going for a jog. Oh, to be honest, <laughs> he gave no it's explanation. Like, he puts like, down the rat in the yeah. garbage can and then just starts sprinting. Okay, just starts right. running. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, um, he ends up when he does get into town. Like what? Did, what did uh? Like he meets. He goes into this little uh, corner store and he meets like the, the shop owner there, of the proprietor. Yeah, and. Uh, she mentions something about like, that's like a six mile run or, so, or like seven miles, seven, seven mile, mile run. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he like ran all the way from his house to the, this little corner store in the, I guess like the downtown area mm-hmm. and just like, uh, grabs a bottle of water, um, chugs like this giant gallon. And he tries water. to order like a bagel and cream cheese. Isn't that weird that they don't know about bagels in Alaska? What's that? Yeah. About? I don't understand that. It's not like this show is set in, uh, 1890s it's 1990s they've definitely heard of bagels before i think it's insane that he hasn't done that but then the compensation says you got to buy the beef turkey instead and he just gets the spicy beef turkey and just goes on along with his way um he also gets a bus pass and you're gonna answer this when you come out of the bathroom but he gets a bus pass because he said that he heard a rumor that there was a new bus coming in town today and she disproves it. She says like, no, no, like, let me give you a new bus pass. Let me give you the revised itinerary. So he gets this bus ticket of sorts. And then he goes into the doctor's office or his, his new office. I'm sorry. I should clarify. He goes into his new office that is now populated with people that are just standing around waiting for him, which goes to show, like I was saying earlier, these people were expecting him. They were expecting a doctor to come into there, um, fresh out of medical school, out of his residency, hoping to ail their problems and he just freaks out. He doesn't know what to do. 
He's in the doctor's office. He's in the doctor's office. Uh, who's there waiting for him? All, just all men. 10 people, 10 yeah. people. But Marilyn's also there too, his secretary. Yeah, yeah, his secretary's <laughs> there, who he keeps insisting is not going to give him the job. Yeah, um, let's see. What happens here? Okay, so um, he's like, all right, one, two, three, four, oh, five, I remember. six, yeah. seven, eight, nine, ten. He, he's like, he gives a number to each person sitting in the room. Yeah, he triages them in, in a terrible triage system because he just goes by left to right. But though I remember the scene that follows up was that he tells, first he tells Marie, uh, the woman that he's not going to offer her a job. And then I think he realizes the situation, like the plight that he's in. And he just goes outside and just shouts. He just can't oh, handle really? it. He kicks so a garbage can. <laughs> And he ex- <laughs> he resigns and accepts his fate and just walks back in. And like you said, that's when he starts uh, assigning them numbers, one through ten. And- yeah, and he, uh, we, we were talking about this earlier, but he sees this woman who has a beaver. Um, and he has this infatuation and this interest, which may be a little unexpected. And we get to see the side of Joel. And throughout this, there's like a patient that keeps trying to come number into the six. office. Yeah, he's like, number six, go back. What number are you? Number six, wait your turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he just keeps knocking on there. Um, and I knew there was something up when he did it the second time. Because the yeah. first time, I thought they were just showing... I, just I guess quirkiness kind of, of like small town. Small town like, yeah, like they don't understand numbering systems or something. Um, but yeah, he keeps going toward uh, knocking on the door. And finally, he notices the trail of blood that's now in his office. Um, yeah, so he finds... Um, he returns to number six, who is bleeding from the leg. And yeah. it turns out there was a, a gunshot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love how he describes the gun. Yeah, go just, ahead. Just going into details about what type of gun that... Uh, Saturday Night Special. Saturday Night Special, I think is what Yeah, that's it. what he calls it, the Saturday Night Special. Apparently, he's had a lot of experience with this in New York, just removing bullets your, of that your caliber. Your pre-AK-47 gangsters, that's what I have. Yeah, that him. was his exact wording on it. And the, number six is really accepting of all of this that's going down, and he doesn't really try to explain how he got to this situation. Well, does he, does he mention in this scene that it, it's his wife? He does, show? but okay, he doesn't yeah. go more into detail. Yeah, about he's it. like, um, the way he says it though, is like, it's like a typical day for me getting shot yeah. by my wife. Oh, wait, there's a funny joke that we skipped. The very first patient that he sees is this guy who's like, um, sits down. He's like, all right, so what's wrong? He's like, um, I'm a uh, feel achy and kind of hot. It's like, okay, well for how long? About two years. <laughs> it's like they haven't had a they haven't had a doctor like in town years. or for more. You know, who maybe more than two years. Um, this Joel is just like now, you know, thrust upon this city who needs medical attention. You know, I, I thought that was a good yeah. Joke. No, no, I think that's actually a great joke that they use right there. Uh, and then out of nowhere, um, the town handyman Ed just comes in. Oh, he's like, Maurice wants to see Yeah, him. he summons him. He comes so to Maurice. He is a driver. He is a repairman. And now he's a messenger. He just does all... Oh, yeah. Uh, Ed, Ed's like, a, he's just a little kid. You know, I, you know, I don't know if we see a whole lot of like the education system in Sicily. Like, is Ed in high school? Maybe we'll get there. I, I don't think we I don't think we see a lot of Are that. Are these people just homeschooled? Is there yeah. no public <laughs> education in this I, place? I think Ed just watches a lot of movies, as you'll see. Like, he's a big movie buff as well. Mm. Um but, okay, so yeah, we get to the scene with Maurice. They're like duck hunting on a lake. Uh, Joel joins him. There's actually kind of a weird like kind of crossfade dissolve because it's like a shot of Maurice sitting in his boat alone, mm-hmm. Ed and Joel in a separate canoe that like uh, row out towards Maurice. Mm-hmm. And then the next shot is the shot of Joel sitting down. It's like kind of a weird crossfade oh, edit. Right. Yeah. I guess because there was no other shot that they could have used to edit it together. 
But anyway, um, there's this whole sort of intimidation tactic where Joel thinks he's being intimidated and he's like, no, I like, I can get out of this contract. I'm not this, like, I'm not a doofus. Like I'm from New York. Mm -hmm. I'm like, uh, I have like a heart, you know, I basically have this, uh, what, 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 well, he tries to prove his, uh, toughness. He's like, I've ridden the subway at 2am and I've gone down the street past midnight. And that, that those uh, are his definitions Lexington of Avenue. Yeah. Lexington Avenue. That, that's his badge of yeah. toughness right there. Maurice raises his rifle and Joel ducks, but Maurice is actually just trying to shoot a, shoot a, a duck out of the air. Yeah, but also uh, Joel doesn't have any earplugs in. Yeah. That, like, he's going to have tinnitus doing that. Like, that's uh, yeah. what a terrible, <laughs> terrible move by him. Well, Joel's a doctor. He should know how to. <laughs> he, can, he can figure that out. Uh this is one of the strangest transitions I found uh, throughout the entire episode because the very next scene after he shoots that duck out of the sky and he tries intimi- intimidating him and strongholding him into staying as being the town doctor, the next shot is just the, him with Maggie just drinking just at the bar. Um, it's a nice like, I don't know, there's probably music in this scene. Like it's a nice kind of cozy feeling. You see just like a lot of empty bottles. Mm-hmm. A lot Maggie. of empty bottles. Yeah. And Ma- he kind of comes on to Maggie like, uh, we learn a little bit about Maggie's like, uh, former partner who perished on a mountain or something. Yeah. Like he took a climber. nap on the mountain. Yeah. She's like, I didn't kill him. He, he decided to take a nap. I went out for a hike. I came back <laughs> and he froze to death. Um, so it's a little weird, but Joel describes Maggie as, uh, having the reddest lips yeah. being uh, pretty in a, in a clean sort of way. And they're you know? almost as red as his fiance's. And he compares her to his fiance. Okay. Setting up some sort of uh Charles. Surely, surely you have noticed there's some sexual tension between. Oh, yeah. Them. Yeah. Oh yeah. This Shows- is like this is the Joel Fleischman, Maggie O'Connell romance hour. Will they won't this, they? Yes. Yes. It's like the Scully and Mulder, um, you know, Ross and uh Josh Lyman and Donna Ma. Let's just go with 90s television okay. shows well, since we're in that era. West Wing is 2000. No, it came out in 1999. Okay, fine. Like the late <laughs> 90s? Okay. Um, yeah, but there's definitely a will they, won't they. And it's definitely solidified in the scene when he's um, blackout drunk, but still kind of coming on to her and comparing her to his fiance. Yeah. Uh, and he puts her down in the same way, too. It's not in a like clean he's full, sort of way. Yeah. yeah. He's drunk and he's like, yeah, he's um, a little bit of a um, crabby guy. So mm-hmm. yeah, he doesn't know it, you know. And yeah, and then the, he blacks out. And just yeah, but I up. love this next sequence. It's like he wakes up. It's a shot of him waking up in the bed, and he's hung over. Uh, I would presume, and uh, from underneath his like he's sleeping on his stomach, and he pulls out a uh, 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 high heel. He's like, oh geez, like I, <laughs> you know, um, Maggie. Like what happened? He walks out to the front porch, and there's this man out there. I love this uh, dialogue here. Joel uh, asks the man, he's like, uh, where am I? It's like, uh, you're at Maggie's house. It's like, who are you? I'm Rick. <laughs> and then the next line is my favorite. He's like, uh, the bed I slept in last night is the same bed that Maggie slept in. Like it's a way oh, of, it's just like a very good euphemism. Yeah, of like he didn't want to say like, did I sleep with Maggie last yeah, night? Yeah. He's not trying to come out forward saying, yeah. he's like, uh, what, what was his answer? I was like, no, uh, me and her sleep in yeah, the other room. We sleep in the other we room. We sleep in the other room. <laughs> and I like that he don't. And Joel's like, oh, 
Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> they don't even establish uh, if he is a significant other of her, though we're inferred yeah. that it is. He yeah. doesn't say, he doesn't introduce himself and say like I'm Rick, Maggie's boyfriend. It's or a fun Mag- scene. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's just cool. a fun, great scene right there. <laughs> and then he, I like how he says, uh, "Oh, Maggie left the keys to her truck." Because yeah. she presumes that you don't want to run seven miles into town. Yeah, Maggie's gone because she is on a delivery or something. Delivery for Mel. And I like that the whole town knows that he ran seven miles to get into town. It's such <laughs> a small town. Everyone knows Oh, because Rick knew that as well? Yeah, he's like, so you don't yeah. have to run seven so miles. Okay, yeah. yeah, I love that the whole town just knows everything that this well, new Charles, I think you're going to love this show. <laughs> you like this so far. <laughs> I hope so. This will be a terrible investment for us. Uh, the next scene is uh, we're back to number six and his wife. Uh we talked about this already. I think we can skip over this um, because basically this is the scene where he showed his true doctor skills, doctor yeah. skills. He does the sort of family counseling. He gets uh, the husband and wife to talk to each other because, um, well, it's a very emotional scene. It's probably, you think so? It's a little corny. It is. It is definitely corny. Um, but it, but it, it does outline what I was trying to say is like the, the, the aspect of medicine that, uh, I think Northern Exposure likes to focus on is more about the person-to-person interpersonal skills, interpersonal and, uh, skills. the way that the townsfolks are treating one another and yeah. he is the right person to cure those um, problems that they're having. And then he hears, he hears a telephone off in the distance and he just ducks out. Okay, yeah. And that's where he talks to, um, we talked about this earlier, we kind of uh, jumped the gun, but it's the 18 years in jail thing. So he realizes he's not going to get out of his contract. This is kind of, the crux of the episode, uh, my, like almost the climax to me, at least for, I think this episode has three plots. It's mm-hmm. the plot of like, will Joe get, uh, he's in Alaska. He hates it. Will he be able to get out? Can he leave Alaska? This, the, the first subplot is, uh, Maurice and Holling. Like what is their feud? Are they going to duke it out? Mm-hmm. And then the third subplot or I guess the second, sorry. The third plot, second subplot, whatever, uh, is the number six, the wife kind of mediation. Yeah. Very small. But um, so the climax of our main plot mm-hmm. is uh, Joel realizes that he's not going to be able to leave Alaska. He can't break his contract. And uh, I love this shot. It's kind of like played out in this kind of continual motion where Joel just like exits his office. Mm-hmm. The camera follows him in like a steady cam. He's just walking. Uh, no specific read on his gate like no no specific uh understanding like what 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 is he walking with with what with what purpose he enters the truck he just sits in this truck and then um just on the flip of a coin he just starts freaking out and like banging his head and like slapping the car i love his freak out and then he gets out of the car um marilyn is there Mm-hmm. And they walk back together to his office. And that shot is actually used as the uh, end credits of the show. I don't know if you realize, but there's oh. a there's a still shot of that. You're right. Um, of them walking You're right. Back. Because, I mean, my theory, I mean, obviously is this, oh, is, the moment, this is the moment that Joel decides that he's going to stay in Sicily. Begrudgingly. Begrudgingly, but also maybe... Maybe as we come to find out throughout the course of the show is like he likes Sicily, you know, mm-hmm. we'll see. But I mean, because that's the beauty of the show is that's the status quo is that Joel is upset and he's this big fish in a small pond. And there's this clash between big city, New York person and small town Sicily person. Yeah, I think that's very funny you bring that up. He's a big fish in a small pond, but he's also a fish out of a pond. Yes, Both. fish out of water. Yeah, fish out of water. Just all about these fishes. I think fish out of water is probably a better description, actually, I would say. I I can say that both can be applicable to the situation. 
But yeah, I was actually really worried because he was freaking out in the truck. That's not his truck. He doesn't it's Maggie's own, truck. It's right? Maggie's truck. What happens if he would have destroyed the truck or something? He's, um, a, he's a shrimpy little dude. You know? uh, he's yeah, not. all right. <laughs> so then he walks up and then they have what appears to be a pep rally for him. Um, well, I don't think it's for him, but I will. Let's note that that is your uh, reaction because this is your first time watching. Yeah. It. So you imagine it's madness for him. I just thought it was like a festival, but hey, this is your first time watching it. I think I think all the uh, all the onus like comes on you, like all the interpretation. We should view it through your eyes. This is your first time seeing it. <laughs> uh, yeah, the way I saw it was that they're just having this festival and. We're getting a lot of resolutions in this scene because okay. um, Ed and the, I'm sorry, what is his uh, not Ed? Um, the bartender and Hauling. Hauling. Oh, yeah, they yeah. start to resolve their feud. Okay, of what so this having. this is um, also I I'm just like um, gushing over this episode, and I already said like this isn't this is by far my least favorite episode, mm-hmm. but there's such a this is one of the most beautiful shots, like one of the greatest moments of the episode. It's the climax of uh, their subplot, the Hauling and Maurice subplot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all plays out. It only plays out in two shots. But as you said, it's this sort of like scene where Hauling approaches Maurice. Maurice is sitting on this log. Hauling sits beside him. And they're going to talk it out because we thought they were going to like kill each other. Yeah. But they're going to talk it out. And um, throughout the context of this scene, what's happening visually is um, we have like Maurice on the like the one side of the frame hauling on the other side and there's like some sort of like smoke entering the background like from like a barbecue or something but there's mm-hmm. this nice like smoke kind of like aerial diffusion in the background it just looks really good and from the opposite direction Shelly who is um basically that the girl that stands between them that's where they're yeah the one that broke up their friendship that's yeah that, yeah that's the problem between them uh it's all plays out in one shot and she like kind of walks in between the two of them Maurice like uh motions towards her with his pen knife, you know, mm-hmm. cause she's like directly between them and the, yeah. the composition of the frame. She looks at him and then she walks off towards the smoke. It's just like a very great visually looks great. And, uh, storytelling wise, visual storytelling. It's just a great, it's a great visual. It's a great look. Yeah. They're showing a lot of, they're spending a lot of intentions with very few dialogue yeah. in that scene, which is great. But, okay, so I talked about sort of the, the look of the scene, but mm-hmm. to you, what is the text? Like, what happens in this scene for yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, we're finally getting some resolution between them because we talked about that being one of the first subplot. In fact, the very first subplot that we've ever seen mm-hmm. is the feud between these two men, and they they haven't talked to each other since. So what happens here? Yeah, they go and they... I'm trying to remember the exact wording that they're using, but they're saying that... Is it pr- pretty much to summarize and saying like, are we good? Like, are we? Yeah. Can we still see each other in public without other people having to separate us because they're yeah. so afraid we're going to kill each other? And he, he, they both agreed. They're like, yeah, I think that enough time has passed. I'm not. They're still not going to be buddy buddy. They're not going to be best friends, but they've acknowledged each other's presences. Yeah, Mar- Maurice, I think, just had to get it off his chest. Like he kind of relates it to uh, to his time as an astronaut. He relates. He's like, he asks Holling, oh, you're uh, right, gravity, you're right. gravity, is it like being in love? You know? Yeah, that's such a like sad weightlessness, scene. you know, it's, um, it's super corny. There's like a score going on, but <laughs> man, when I, when I saw this show, uh, as a high schooler, it, that spoke to you. it hit me, you know, like <laughs> that sold me for the show and the show only gets better. But I mean, yeah, it's such a corny yeah, little scene. That line of dialogue. It's you're kind right. of a weak, uh, climax, but 
uh, it worked for me. And maybe because maybe part of the reason why it worked is because the scene is told in this like very beautiful, like I said, it's that shot that I described. Mm -hmm. And then the end of the scene, it's only two shots. So the second shot is uh, the camera goes behind the two men who are sitting down. Uh, and we just see this beautiful landscape, you know, that they're looking out towards and they kind of sit there again, kind of like the very first shot of the, or the very first scene of the episode where we end in a wide shot mm -hmm. we get this broad landscape with no dialogue. We get this like broad palette, no broad canvas, no dialogue, just kind of a moment to take it in and think about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. And then the episode ends with Ed, our man. Yeah, just comes so, in there. So uh, the, I think the the real question, Charles, uh -huh. moose burger or caribou dog? Oh, gosh. What are you gonna do? I think if I was, I think I would go with the moose burger. I think. I think that's a good choice. Why? Uh, you know, I have no real <laughs> logical basis on that. I think it's just because I like burgers more than I like hot dogs. But so you're a burger a, man. Yeah, but this isn't a regular burger, and that's not a regular hot dog. Yeah. Like, all logic's thrown out the window, actually, <laughs> on this one. But, it's a crapshoot. Yeah, but Joel, he eats the moose burger, right? Yeah, he chooses moose burger. And, I, and of course, there's a lot of subtext with this scene, but he says, like, well, how do you like it? And he goes, oh, it's a little too gamey. And he says, well, you'll get used to the taste. Yeah, it's, a great, it's a great, yeah, it's a great ending for the episode. You'll get used to it because Joel has subscribed to live in Sicily and he's going to have to learn how to get used to it uh, throughout mm -hmm. the entirety of the show. Yeah. It's about his growing pain or it's like about his like kind of acclimation to Right, Sicily. right. Um, and I like that it starts with Ed being introduced. That's that's the first person that Joel meets in the town. And yeah. Ed is also the last person we see in the scene that's with good, him. Yeah. yeah, Ed is all throughout this episode and he's the... The person that Joel is most identified with. And uh, just to like recognize some of our Northern Exposure groupies, you know, the people who like love the show from the past. Uh, one of the key characters of the series is actually portrayed in this in this episode, but he doesn't have any speaking lines. He's in this scene. He's in the crowd of this big uh, music festival. He's a uh, Chris. Oh, what? But you'll see. Don't. Yeah. I mean, he. There's literally no build upon his character. He just looks like an extra in this. I mean, he looks a little more than an extra in this episode. I'll mm -hmm. point him out to you after this uh, oh, okay. podcast. But uh, um, yeah, he's a uh, he's a very large. He's probably one of my probably my favorite part of the show. But he's <laughs> he has no uh, no lines. He has he has nothing to do in the in the first episode. So that's kind of a big. You know, that's we talked about pilots being weird. You know, like pilots do not necessarily re reflect the yeah. whole gamut of the show. Some characters get written off after the pilot. We just never see them again. And then, like you said, in this instance, some characters are introduced, even though they had no lines. So Charles, um, I think we're going to wrap it up, but if you have anything to say, like if you have any part of the episode you want to talk about, go ahead. But my final question will always be, are you going to watch the next episode? Like, what are you interested? What do you think is going to happen next? Do you want to see what happened next or what? Oh yeah, no, I do. You're going to have to see it. I'm going yeah, to make yeah. you watch it. <laughs> but, uh, well, what, yeah. Are I, you interested? I'm definitely interested. Uh, my, my prediction for the next episode is that there's, there's going to be some hijinks involving Joel and his office. Cause he's definitely returning back okay. to his office. So there's going to be something involved with there and his assistant. We'll see if these predictions pan out. Yeah, yeah. that's my prediction for it. Um, uh, all right. Well, I want to get like some real talk. Like, how do you, like, honestly, you know, I love this show, but 
uh, I respect your opinion. Like, where does this show fall for you? Like, honestly, let, let the yeah, people, yeah. let the view, let the <laughs> listeners know, like, do you love the show or like where, like, cause obviously you've only seen the pilot. Like, where does it fall? Like, yeah. I'm definitely not going to say I love the show just yeah. from one episode of the pilot. Um, what are you like, give me some digs. Like, what do you I dislike think, about it? <laughs> uh, it's a very charming television show. I'll give you that. Okay. That you can tell there's a lot of heart, a lot of thought being built into this. It's, I mean, all right. And like I said before, it's not even a bad pilot. Yeah. To be honest, looking back, but I, on I it. want you to be but, like my devil's advocate. Like, yeah, I want you to yeah, like yeah. trash to it sometimes. This, to go Feel against, free to make fun of it, you know. Yeah, the go against this is that uh, maybe the dialogue could be stronger. It seems like this is just ordinary. Maybe it's because it was made in the 1990s, so they weren't going for incredibly strong uh, The Wire or yeah, Sopranos type of uh, HBO. Yeah. situation here completely but different shows but i mean they're they, they've all like i mean i'm sure has the wire won an emmy like i mean like they they all have one they have Th- that's very, true they're no they're all very critically acclaimed shows but they're, they're very different i guess yeah you're right they're all very different about that this one just feels more sterilized which makes sense since it was broadcasted on cbs but this dialogue is very safe it doesn't feel like it's gonna offend anybody um which i think is their point I think they're wanting to bridge the gap between rural and urban. Yeah. Um, they're trying to yeah, I find think more common, like the, there's more that unites us than divides us type of thing they're trying to go for. Uh, I think the most like risque part of the episode would be like the bed that I slept in last night was the same bed that Maggie, you know, yes, that, that was that's like, the most risque but, but part. Even then he doesn't say sex or anything. Yeah. He doesn't say anything like that. And there's a, um, I think that that's, there's a place for that. And, I liked it the way that this TV show handled it, but this TV show is not breaking ground. It's not okay. Mary Tyler Moore show level. All it's right. not West Wing level. I'll it's take not it. Wire level. It's not. Um, I'm trying to think of another television show that's fantastic. NYPD Blue, isn't it? Oh, you're thinking of uh, Hill Street Blues. Hill Street Blues, not NYPD Blues. Okay, listeners, forget that TV show. That television yeah, is trash. I'll, I'll erase that. Like Charles <laughs> yeah. likes good t- TV shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's not anywhere near those levels i would say Um, no yeah yeah that's a i would you know i'm not i'm not offended i want you to trash it when you can please trash it uh but um no yeah it's like we said it's the pilot episode i you know like (laughs) it's not my favorite episode by far but uh i'm excited on this uh journey that we're about to go on charles yeah definitely me too man super excited um we'll, we'll see where this takes us i guess this is our first episode obviously we'll uh um see you next time Northern Overexposure Podcast is edited by me. Our theme song was remixed by Matt Jackson. Thanks to Laser Kitties for the podcast artwork. And thanks to Charles for watching the show and being my co-host. Charles told me his favorite TV show pilot is actually a tie between two shows, Scrubs and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And of course, thank you for listening.